Rethink Retail, the evolution of retail in today's connected world. Welcome to the Rethink Retail Show, your source for the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. Join host Julia Raymond, Global Director of Research at Valtech, a global digital agency focused on strategy and transformation in retail, as she explores the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. This episode of Rethink Retail, sponsored by Valtech, where experiences are engineered. Hi, welcome to the show. My guest today is Diane Ellis. She's a C-suite executive with uh, 35 years in the consumer retail business and is currently a board member and the CEO of DME Advisory Group. She's held previous roles such as brand president for Chico's, CEO of The Limited, and president and COO of Brooks Brothers. She's also recognized by NRF as a 2019 power player in shaping retail's future. Diane, will you kick us off with telling us a bit more about yourself and your industry experience? Sure, Julia. I'm happy to do so. Um, I've grown up in the retail industry. As uh, you mentioned in my bio, spent uh, over 35 years in the business, starting in the department store industry, migrating my way into off-price at uh, Marmax during the growth years of uh, TJ Maxx and Marshalls. And then um, going into the consulting business, actually, for uh, the midpoint in my career for a number of years, uh, working for Management Horizons, uh, which was a division of PricewaterhouseCoopers doing um, retail consulting, and then uh, came back over to the industry side in the roles that you mentioned. Um, And so I've had a unique opportunity over the course of my career to become a real student of retail. both from the inside as, as a C-suite executive, as well as um, on the consulting side um, and kind of had the opportunity to look at best practices within a number of retailers. And I'm always fascinated by um, innovation and how retailers adapt uh, to changes in the environment. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. Um, And it sounds like you are a great person to have on the show just because you've not only been in retail um, and have a bird's eye view, but you've also helped with the consulting side, which, you know, um, really speaks to your ability to own the space and know what it means to create in-store experiences, um, which is what I'd like to talk about today with you. And to start, I would like to just throw a broad question out there. What are new ways that retailers are identifying what the customers want and need and then personalizing their shopping journeys? Well, I think, you know, Julia, it's interesting that, you know, retail has kind of lagged behind the consumer products industry traditionally in terms of the use of uh, customer insights, research, and customer data. And, you know, what I would say is new is, you know, retailers always felt that um, it was kind of a, a cultural bias towards the fact that, you know, we had to tell the consumer what they wanted as opposed to listening to what the consumer told us uh, were her wants, needs, and desires. And so I think the new ways are leveraging, you know, big data, leveraging the wealth of customer data that is out there in new ways to really understand uh, better the consumer behavior and consumer um, psychographics. And also, you know, spending a lot of time on the um, truly mapping out the customer journey and understanding where the friction points are um, in that journey and designing solutions that really help 
eliminate those friction points um, and allowing the, the consumer to really experience um, that shopping experience in, in a really different way. So I think the data piece and the fact that uh, there's time actually being spent really dissecting that journey are two of the ways that um, personalization and shopping experience are changing dramatically. And speaking of journeys, which you're, you're talking a lot about, how do, like, what are the ways retailers are really segmenting the journeys? Are, is it still heavily based on demographics, Gen Z, Gen X, or is it now based on, um, you know, in more interests? It's, uh, you know, it depends on, again, what, what service or product or experience the retailer is selling, but it's uh, more around need state in terms of you can have the same consumer who um, in one um, need state um, has a very different set of a very different journey and very different friction points and opportunities to add value if they're, you know, running out to buy something in a hurry versus it's something that's more planful or if they're, um, their shopping behavior happens to be different and they're um, more of a, um, a new shopper to that brand or if they're uh, someone that has experience with that brand. So I would say it's a number of different dimensions um, that retailers are looking at outside what used to be the traditional you know, demographic view, which you know, I always um, say to my teams that you can have you know, a group of 10 people, uh, 10 women with the same general demographic um, profile who, you know, when they look at each other sitting in the audience, um, they couldn't be more different um, in terms of what's important to them, what motivates their shopping behavior, you know, what, um, how they equate, you know, value and what value means to them um, and what they're looking for in experience. So demographics tell you very, very little about the shopping experience or shopping journey and what that consumer is looking for. So I would say it's a number of different dimensions and trying to figure out which are the right ones to look at for your particular brand or product or service is, is part of the challenge. So it sounds like maybe really dr- drilling down on what the value sets are within your target market. Correct. And really getting a deep understanding of your, you know, your target customer and how they, um, you know, how the value equation really um, uh, lays out for them and what's important to them and really where those pain and friction points are. Yeah. Yep, that makes total sense. And so my next question would be, uh, there was a recent report released and it says that the definition of retail has evolved from buying economic quantities of goods and selling them to consumers to now fulfilling consumers' desires with a service they trust in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think it's key that they say in the moment because it it alludes to the fact that needs and wants are changing so quickly all the time. Um, What's your take on the new definition? Do you agree? Yeah, I think it's actually a refreshing new way to think about it because, um, you know, the the transactional definition of, you know, uh, economic quantities of goods and selling them is really more of a a transactional, tactical uh, kind of interaction, whereas, you know, the new definition really talks about trust. And that really, again, is um, instrumental in terms of, you know, that that consumer has to trust that brand or that experience because they've got to know that their ability to have a successful experience, um, you know, people are so time pressed and uh, have so many alternatives and options that trust really becomes a key factor. And so, 
Do they trust you in that moment for that particular need state that they have? Are you, uh, you know, have, have you developed that level of trust with that consumer that they feel you're the best solution? And is there enough value um, in, that, uh, in that interaction that they feel you're the best choice? So I think it really talks about the dynamics um, and how they're changing and the definition seems to be more um, relevant for today's uh, retailer and consumer. That's some, that's great insight. And when you're talking about trust, what is the most challenging obstacles retailers face when trying to build that trust or when it comes to maintaining and customer engagement? Well, I think trust, you know, um, it takes a long time to build and can, can disappear in, with one bad experience. And so, you know, consumers, um, you know, tolerance level for, uh, you know, missteps in the experience is, is pretty um, low. And, and there's so many alternatives and options, whereas in the past, um, you know, your options were limited to get a certain service or product. So you may put up with, you know, um, less um, consistency or less, you know, uh, service level or other things because it wasn't available in a ubiquitous manner. And now that, you know, you, you can get anything you want anytime, the question is, who, who do I trust to do that in a way that, again, adds value or does it consistently? And when you've got a lot of stores and a lot of sales associates and different channels, um, making sure that that experience that, you know, is building that trust is consistent across all those touch points is probably the biggest challenge to maintaining that trust and, and customer engagement. That makes total sense. And I, I think that um, deriving value in that moment when they need it most is what will create loyalty. But because you talked about having so many options as a consumer, how has like loyalty changed over the years? I, I remember learning in college about, you know, the Tide story. And Tide is such a strong brand because kids saw their moms use Tide and then so they did too. Um, but now there's just a plethora of options out there. You can get things delivered. There's different promotions all the time. How is that changing for brands? Well, I think, again, loyalty, um, most uh, retailers or brands can't rest on their laurels with regard to loyalty um, with a the consumer. They've got to be able to understand and anticipate how that consumer's lifestyle and needs are going to change and be um, ahead of the curve on that. So the consumers kind of say they really get me, right? They understand me beyond um, you know, a simple um, transaction. They understand me. And because they consistently demonstrate that they understand my needs and, and what I'm looking for. I get value from that because um, it's making the experience easier. So that's how I derive loyalty versus I have a product that I can only get one place and it generally works. That used to be the definition for loyalty. You know, if that was the brand and it worked and I saw my parents use it or, you know, I felt comfortable with it because I'd used it for a while that, uh, you know, that loyalty has to be earned every day, every, every interaction with the consumer today versus, you know, establishing loyalty kind of once. And then as long as you didn't, you know, um, change the product or the experience too much, you know, you, you had uh, a loyal consumer. It's much harder. Um, and there's constant new entrants, you know, into the process in terms of uh, that, uh, that playing field. And so, you know, you've got to consistently up your game and anticipate the customer's need to maintain that level of loyalty. 
Yeah, it's it's always on, isn't it? Um, yeah. For retailers, there's no break. <laughs> um, <laughs> Unfortunately, no. No, it's just getting uh, more competitive every day. But in, in years past, um, as we've kind of touched on, stores were in retail more broadly was about transactions and inventory management. And today, digital is kind of king on both those fronts. So physical stores really need to evolve into something more. And are there anything, is there anything from your experience um, that next gen stores should keep in mind when they're, you know, either redoing their format or they're a new entrant to the market? Well, I think, you know, as, um, as you mentioned, you know, online, when consumers are asking, you know, what, what attributes of online shopping are the most important, it's um, the attribute of um, convenience and um, prices actually comes out high there when they're looking for best price because it's easier to compare. And then also um, browsing because it's actually easier um, to browse online um, than it is to um, walk around a mall. And, and, you know, I think that dynamic is, is a lot of what's uh, challenging mall retailers is, you know, people used to shop six to seven stores every, every visit. Now they're down (laughs) two or three because they've done that browsing behavior. So thinking about again, you know, uh, folks like um, Nordstrom with their neighborhood concept and, you know, um, understanding what the consumer's coming in for, they're really not necessarily looking to you for browsing um, what the, our latest research that I've seen uh, said that it uh, is really about, in the apparel sector anyway, outfitting um, and the ability to get uh, expertise and hands-on experience with somebody who brings more value to that interaction um, than they can get online or through online tools. And then fit. Fit still continues to be a reason, you know, for consumers in the apparel space anyway to um, make a trip into the store to really understand um, fit, um, at least um, initially, until they, they get a comfort level with, uh, you know, um, certain styles in their fit. So as they're, you know, looking at stores, I guess, you know, again, you're, you're not um, necessarily um, having to um, meet a lot of that browsing. It's really more about outfitting and what you're doing to bring additional content um, and value, value-based content, meaning, you know, again, something that um, makes that experience, you know, more um, fulfilling than what I could do on my own um, in other channels. And so, you know, as they're thinking about stores, again, um, I think that all, most stores are really built around browsing and, uh, you know, transactions and convenience versus an immersive experience that really has richer content or richer relationships or, um, you know, again, bring some additional level of personalization that they can't receive online. Sure. And I think it makes a lot of sense what you said about apparel being, you know, the, the category that really will drive people into the store just because, you know, everyone is so different in sizing that there is still that need to go in and physically try on items. Um, yeah. That will that will change as you know technology continues to improve on um, you know fit technologies and things of that nature. But for the foreseeable short term future, it's still a big driver for consumers for um, brick and mortar experience. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I I mean I have seen actually <laughs> a lot of the men's um, men's outfitting specifically for suits 
uh, that now they have apps that will scan your body and they'll send you measuring tapes so you can avoid having to actually go into a tailor um, and just get your suit sent to you direct to your house. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, that's probably where we're headed. But would you say that the, the big box retailers will, will offer that kind of service or will that stay kind of specific? I think, I think that will stay, you know, again, to a little bit more in the specialty space where they're looking for that to differentiate. But an example would be, you know, again, at Brooks Brothers, that experience of having a custom, a highly trained custom tailor um, fit you for a suit is, you know, a very high touch, indulgent, um, elevated experience when done correctly. And, uh, you know, if you want to feel uh, pampered, uh, you know, as a gentleman and feel um, like you're being um, put, you know, delivering an experience that's very, very uh, high touch and intimate, then, you know, that kind of an experience is still going to make a difference to you if that's something that's important. If you're more interested in convenience um, than, you know, an online experience where you're, where it's self done. And if you're, if you're pressed for time and convenience, then that's a different driver. Right. Right. So just speaking to the retailer's sweet spot and probably target market. So when you're coming into the store, you talked about having a highly trained tailor. That's part of the indulgent experience that gentlemen at Brooks Brothers, for example, uh, would come to the store for. How, when we're talking about just sales associates in general, how are retailers transforming or redefining their role uh, to shift towards the seamless, connected shopping experience that's catered to each customer? Yeah, I think one of the, the most important things is, you know, there's a big cultural shift that has to occur within retail and, and is occurring within most uh, omni-channel retailers um, where the sales associate really has to um, see their job as helping to drive the share of uh, market of that brand in that particular geography, regardless of channel. And that's very different than, you know, again, um, within most retail organizations, you know, everyone is incented around individual channel behavior or was, you know, in the past incented around individual channel behavior. And now, um, you know, what's the with them? What's the what's in it for me for a sales associate to facilitate um, engaging with you in an online experience or pushing you or, or not um, or supporting you going to an online experience versus an in-store experience. I mean, you, we've all seen it where a sales associate would say to a customer, um, well, you know, if you see something you like and we, you don't have your size, I can, um, you know, order it for you uh, to come in here versus asking the consumer, do you want, you know, do you want to purchase that online or do you want to have it shipped, you know, directly to your house? Because that's how um, they're incented is based on whether it's an in-store sale or not. So, changing metrics um, and uh, incentives for sales associates to really incent them around um, supporting and encouraging the consumer to engage with that brand regardless of channel um, across multiple channels is um, where retailers are having to rethink their pay structures, their incentive structures, all of that in addition to again having to put a lot more investment in training to really have sales associates who bring um, something more to that experience than the consumer can um, do in a, in a digital way. And so, you know, it really puts um, 
you know, the sales sales associate's really a relationship manager in this new environment as opposed to someone who's facilitating a transaction. Right. And when you say different channels, are, is that um, something you're seeing happening right now with sales associates being incentivized to uh, encourage online sales? Yes. Yes. And I think, okay. you know, they're getting either some form of credit or, um, you know, bonus structures are changing where they get, um, you know, incented around uh, that customer's uh, purchases online, you know, if they were engaging with that um, sales associate uh, prior to them going online or even with tools uh, like Salesfloor where you're able to have a sales associate in store be able to, you know, again, engage with customers um, in the online experience as well. And so they're actually facilitating shopping in a digital format as well as in a brick and mortar format. And so giving them credit for that and giving them, um, you know, uh, sales incentives around that so that they're able to be rewarded for that behavior is really what needs to change and what is changing in a number of retailers. Yeah, that's, that's probably a bigger undertaking than it sounds, right? To have all that technology to support those payment structures and tracking. Yes. You know, and again, it's, it's probably, while it's a technology challenge, it's probably more of a cultural challenge, um, you know, to take down those, um, barriers of, uh, you know, uh, channel um, functional stovepiping that are within most retailers. So an example at Chico's was um, we had implemented omni-channel sales leads where the digital and brick and mortar um, responsibilities, which normally fall under different individuals in retail organizations, were combined under one mm. individual to really facilitate removing those barriers and cross-channel um, behavior to support cross-channel behavior. Yeah, that's really smart. And I could definitely see what you're saying about it being a, a cultural shift and organizational shift. Absolutely. So switching gears a little to, um, you know, in-store personalization and in-store engagement, would you say uh, there was a study recently, a global study of 10,000 consumers, and it said that video content positively impacts over over half of consumers in their shopping experience. What are your thoughts on, on digital signage? Do you think we'll see a lot of investment there over the next few years? Well, I think you will because it, it again, gives you that speed, one, to be able to change content um, quickly and to be able to respond um, to changes in um, – you know, um, conditions in stores and things like that. So you have that flexibility because it is a constraint right now in terms of your ability to either flex promotions or content. Um, and, it, and it's, you know, a relatively high cost mm -hmm. to print all that physical content as well. So I think it will um, evolve and change. And with, you know, again, as you try to bring what's working best on the digital side, you know, when you see, you know, the amount of, um, influencer content that really drives consumer behavior online, um, that same influencer content um, and, uh, and um, interactive content is really going to be important uh, to continue to bring that experience um, to the brick and mortar environment. So it definitely, um, whether it, you know, it's video content or, or whether it's content delivered, you know, by your sales associates, uh, 
having the content delivered, the value add content delivered digitally requires a little bit less training um, to be able to do it um, and still deliver that, that value proposition versus uh, training associates. But either way, you know, the, um, the value added content, um, whether it's about outfitting or inspiration or um, ideas or lifestyle um, suggestions or things of that nature that really immerse uh, the consumer in the lifestyle of that brand, um, that has to be part of that experience uh, to remain competitive. And, and whether we deliver it with digital means or with sales associates, I think it's equally important. Yeah, that's a good point. That's that's a good soundbite that it is equally important uh, for retailers to think about. And when you said influencer content, um, are you saying influencer content that would get pushed out to potentially the digital in-store signage? Yes. You know, whether you've got, you know, again, um, you've got, you know, consumer ratings or, you know, you've got uh, consumer feedback content or you've got actual influencer content or sales associate content where, you know, um, many retailers, Nordstrom for one, an example is using, um, uh, videos that are done by their own associates talking about the benefits and outfitting of product and things like that. And so bringing that um, content, the consumer is looking for, again, inspiration, outfitting, ideas, lifestyle. If, if they like the brand and they, um, you know, feel uh, the brand's relevant to them, they're looking for, okay, you know, what kind of recipes or if it's about Memorial Day or what, you know, what are some other ideas and inspiration. So bringing that experience that people get through, you know, blogs and, and uh, YouTube and other components uh, in a digital environment, bringing that into the store environment really helps to build out that lifestyle uh, experience and persona. And it, it is um, one way that digital content can really um, change the game. Do you see a lot of digital content, like when, when you're talking about um, the lifestyles and the, the outfitting, it's almost like Pinterest, right? So it's, it's a lot of inspiration. Do you think that retail websites will, will see a shift towards more of like a Pinterest style layout or different sections that give? They, you know, they already are in terms of, um, you know, um, how to wear, um, shop the look, a number of different uh, functionalities that are there, whether it's, you know, user generated content or brand generated content. Um, those are in my experience at, you know, limited Chico's were the number one clicked and number one interacted, uh, interacted with elements of the site workshop, the look and, um, how to wear. And mm -hmm. so the consumers are consistently looking for inspiration and ideas around that. And, a lot of growth for the both of those web businesses really came out of um, shop the look um, functionality as well as uh, how to wear. Yeah, very very interesting and, and good to hear about your your direct experience at those big retailers. Um, <clears throat> which speaking of huge retailers, I uh, I know last month Neiman Marcus opened its um, Hudson Yard store, its first in New York City. And Fortune Magazine eloquently put it at the tender age of 112, Neiman Marcus is a newbie again, um, which I thought was kind of funny. But the store is, I mean, it's, it blows other stores out of the water a little bit. They're really competing. It has interactive technology. I read somewhere maybe even uh, over 60 
interactive screens, um, a demonstration kitchen on its lower floor, and then even an event space on the middle floor that can hold 100 people for mini fashion talks or designers. Do you think these additions uh, will really end up driving people to store or increasing revenue? I think, you know, again, ways to, you know, give consumers a reason to come in to engage with content that they can't get elsewhere is going to become critical. And actually it's kind of interesting where, you know, everything old is new again, back in, in the day in department stores, you know, there were event spaces and there were a lot of um, fashion shows and events and things in the store um, constantly, whether there would be, you know, um, a new theme every, every season where the entire uh, department store would become, you know, a, a springtime in Paris or, um, you know, uh, apple blossoms in, you know, Japan. And it was something that was kind of an immersive experience that consumers, you know, gave them a reason to go um, and spend time in the store. And when you look at other innovative retailers, like, for example, American Eagle, who, you know, um, again, put... Um, uh, wash machines in their store in the uh, near NYU because they understood that was a way, you know, the typical NYU college student, what do they um, spend time doing? <laughs> I'm on their hands is washing their clothes. And so, you know, why not have them hang out in the store while they're doing that? Or, you know, um, urban outfitters who, you know, again, put pizza, um, uh, a pizza business in um, some of their locations. So those things that kind of give um, the consumer an experience um, draw uh, to come into the store and, uh, you know, again, um, begin to see the store beyond a, just a place to transact, but, but a, uh, a third place, meaning a community, a place where they can hang out and, you know, interact with other like-minded people um it really is that sense of third place that takes the brand beyond just a kind of transactional experience and i think for neiman the challenge neiman's is the challenge is really to keep that fresh and keep that content consistently changing and new because if it isn't dynamic content it will get old and and it's um attraction and draw to the community and and making it kind of that third place in essence um will not um, be sustained. So I think, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a great start, but keeping that uh, new and fresh um, will be the challenge. Right. And I, and I really like what you said about the parallels between, you know, the past, the past retail and retail now or future retail, how the experiences um, are, are coming back around in a sense. Do you think that's because humans kind of still have the same desires to have an experience, but our lifestyles have changed? Yeah, the lifestyles have changed, but I think humans still have the um, desire to experience things with other other like-minded people and uh, people um, that they can um, share community with. And uh, even as, you know, again, digital presence continues to grow, there's still that human need to interact um, and um, engage in the social element of shopping um, is you know still important and still something that people desire but it has to be interesting and fun uh, and not um, transactional and boring and I think that's where um, the opportunity is for retailers to really you know um, 
become the retailtainment in essence. Uh, right. Yeah. Retailtainment. It, it worries all the time. You know, if you, uh, you know, watch, um, if you're a fan of watching Selfridges or, you know, some of the other things, it really was about entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. Means to really create that kind of draw in that experience. And so I think it's kind of a return to that um, and less um, reliant on some of the convenience and transactional and availability of inventory um, pieces that uh, retailers over relied on um, throughout like um, the last, you know, 10 to 20 years. I think it's evolving back to um, some of those uh, elements of the past in a new way. I, yeah, I could totally see it. And I really enjoy hearing your perspective on that. I think that's really interesting um, for our listeners. And I also, I really love the the washing machine example that you gave. And that kind of brings me to, to one of my last questions I want to pose today. Um, because I kind of imagine someone sitting in a boardroom and just throwing out that crazy idea, you know, let's put washing machines in the store. Um, but I'm sure they did their research and knew that they were you know, right next to a college and that that the target market matched up, et cetera. So how do retailers think strategically and not tactically like chasing the shiny object? We hear a lot about that um, before investing in, in in in-store experiences. Well, I think, you know, again, the, the, the pivot I see retailers making and those who are really innovative, like some of the ones I've mentioned, are doing those changes, strategic changes, out of deep understanding of their consumer, target consumer, versus um, chasing a technology um, that uh, is a new shiny object or a new technology um, in search of a, a, you know, a, a, a fit in the store. So it's really, again, because many of the solutions may have a technology component or may not, um, but it's driving it out of a deep understanding of your customer, of how that customer uh, wants to interact, where you can add value and differentiation um, to that experience, what's important to him or her. And that deep understanding then uh, is where those um, ideas come from. And the ideas, again, are meaningful to the consumer as opposed to kind of fluff. Um, and a lot of technology that was implemented at store level was kind of whiz-bangy, but it didn't really change the consumer experience fundamentally or remove a friction point or add, uh, you know, delight or value to that experience. It just, um, in some ways, made the experience more complex or complicated or frustrating. So it's very important, I think, that uh, it's driven right out of a deep understanding of the consumer. And that's where folks who are winning on that front um, are um, seeing the, the benefit is, is, is letting it be consumer led or customer, you know, customer led. Mm-hmm. Yep. That makes total sense. And um, you know, it's great to hear from someone like you who's worn so many caps um, in, in the retail space over the years. And uh, I just want to thank you for being on the show today and for your time. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks, Julia. I uh, enjoyed it as well. Thanks, Diane. You've been listening to Rethink Retail. For all the latest news on commerce and trends, join the discussion, rethink.industries.com.